My name is River Barker. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you for filling in. Um, um, but it's good to be here. It's good to be sober. Um, I love this group. It's my home group, of course. Um, just makes me feel at home. Good example is, is when Brian Gift walked in, he said, man, you can polish a turd, can't you? <laughs> Made me feel right at home. Uh, but my sobriety date is May 19th, 2013. I do have a sponsor um, that I stay current with. I sponsor other men, and I try to be a service wherever, I, that, wherever I'm at. And, you know, my experience has shown me that I don't know anyone with long-term successful sobriety that's happy in life that doesn't have these four things. They don't have a, a, a home group that they're a member of and participate in. They have a sponsor and they sponsor other people. That they're a service and they have a grapevine subscription. <laughs> so if you don't have a grapevine subscription, come and see Julia after the meeting. She'll hook you up. Um, <laughs> But you know, I, I remember whenever I first got sober, I was not a member of this group, and my sponsor at that time would bring me out here sometimes. Man, you gotta come out here. I remember I would come out here, and I would leave here like, dude, like they take this way too serious. They're, they're talking about applying this to their life, applying this in, in their home and in their work. Like, man, I'm just trying not to drink and have fun. Um, yet years later, I found myself begging to, to come in here because my life was not getting any better, even though I'd quit drinking. So, I'm very appreciative of this group. I have a lot of love and respect for this group. There's a lot of leaders in this group that have completely saved my life numerous times um, at different points in my sobriety. <clears throat> so, you know, I grew up in a very small country town in Oklahoma. We have one stoplight. One thing I never understood about my town is like, they drink, but man, if you smoke weed or anything else, you are like the devil. Like, they, they're okay with drinking their grandpa's moonshine that they use to clean their tra tractor engines and things like that, but boy, if you smoke a joint or anything else, they disown you. But I came from a very small country town like that, um, and we grew up in a very strong Christian religious home. We were in a private Lutheran school for most of our lives. So at an early age, like it was kind of, I don't want to say shoved down my throat, but it was just guided to me of what we believe in. This is what God is. This is, this is what our family believes in, and you just need to follow suit. Um, I think my, my family did a very phenomenal job and did the best they could for their children, trying to give them the best life and best future that they could have. Um, unfortunately, that didn't work out too well. <laughs> But I grew up with a, I have, I have some older brothers, but my closest one in age is two years older than me. And then I have a little sister. My two oldest brothers are like half brothers, so I don't really count them. So I really think I'm an alcoholic because I'm a middle child. <laughs> um, but I grew up just feeling that way. Like my family didn't love me enough. They didn't care about me enough. I remember like if my brother wanted to practice football, my dad would make me put pads up and on and just go outside and get my ass kicked for like an hour. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, this is, this is what, I'm just a punching bag for the family. Um, and I share this a lot, but like perception is reality. So whether that's true or not, if that's what I perceive, that's what I think is true. Um, now, now that I'm sober, you know, I know that my family loved me and didn't love me any less than my, my other siblings. 
But that's how I felt growing up. My sister got everything that she wanted. My brother always got let off of everything that he was doing, which is a lot of the same stuff I did. But I was always the one that got tough love. Um, and lots of times I think I just was rebellious just to get some sort of attention, just so people would notice me, just so I would know that my family knows that I'm there. And even if I'm getting disciplined, I'll take it. Um, in middle school, we finally convinced our parents to, to transfer us into public school so we could uh, play sports. And, you know, I came from a very sheltered life, and it was like a light switch switched on. Like, I mean, that was whenever I first figured out what cigarettes were and alcohol, everything. Like, I didn't know what any of that was until I was in middle school. And I remember, this should have been a sign, but like I remember the first time I drank alcohol, I was 13 years old. And I remember, you know, all those feelings, I don't know if they either went away or I just didn't care anymore. I didn't care that my family loved my brother more than me. Um, but it just made me feel different. It made me feel okay with myself. It didn't make me feel like an outsider. It made me feel like I was top of the world, 13-year-old drunk. But the first time I got drunk, I got arrested. And uh, my parents were out of town in a softball tournament with my little sister. I lied about, I told him I was my older brother, I lied about my age, so some, um, some church members, some deacon and his family came and picked me up, thinking it was going to be my brother, and yet it was me, just hammered. Um, but that's just like, that's, that was just, like I would do anything to not have to feel the way that I was feeling. And I would take any risk, pop any pill, drink anything I could to not feel that. So the first time I drank, I got arrested, family came and church family came and picked me up, took me home, and then um, within a year they were sending me off to my first treatment center. So my first treatment center, I was 14 years old. Um, it was a, it was a uh, religious-based treatment center. And I had no intention of getting sober, and I definitely did not get sober then. Um, but again, I just, I did it because I wanted to get people off my back, wanted my family to stop breathing down my neck. So I went to this treatment center, and I remember I came home on Christmas break, so it was right around this time. As soon as I walked in the door, um, I drank with my brother within an hour. And then uh, did some other things, and you know, once they took me back, this was in Arkansas, once they took me back, I failed a drug test, so they put me on this strict probation thing at the treatment center, and within a month, I was just done. I called my family and made them come and pick me up. So I was very selfish, very self-centered, didn't care that my family paid for this out of pocket. Didn't care that my dad was going to have to take off work to drive across state to pick me up and from treatment center. It was all about me. And they, uh, my dad came and picked me up and he drove me home. And as soon as we walked in, he dropped me off. It was the next morning. He dropped me off and he had to go to work. And as soon as he left, me and my brother got drunk again. Like, I, I, like there was no... I had no intention of, of getting sober. I didn't care to get sober, and it was just like I, I was lost. And I was, again, willing to do anything I could to not to, to feel differently than how I was feeling. Then I remember um, shortly after that, me and my brother got pulled over, and I took the fall for everything, so I got put on probation. And at 17 years old, I was going to a uh, going to a court date, and I got pulled over literally right in front of the courthouse. Um, my mom was meeting me there 
and I ended up getting walked into the court, my court appearance in handcuffs because I was driving under the influence at 9 a.m. <laughs> yeah, that, that judge was not happy. Um, so they, they, uh, they said, well, we're just gonna take you to the back here, and I thought I was gonna go to juvie for like a week or two, no big deal, you know, I'm some hardcore 17-year-old, I can handle it. But instead, like, we took a wrong turn and I ended up in a, in a treatment center that was in, inside the juvenile center. Um, and that was whenever I really kind of had my first like hands-on experience with Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, some guys would come in and I think it was once or twice a week they'd come in and hold a meeting. And of course we would go to it because we, we were required to. And you know, at this time and for a very long time, I didn't know what an alcoholic was or a drug act if you want to put it like that. Like I thought that if I could just stay sober long enough I could drink like a normal person. That was what I thought an alcoholic was. I thought that people in AA came to these meetings until they had X amount of sobriety and then they could go out and live in the real world and drink and be happy. So they brought AA meetings in there. Of course, I wasn't paying any attention. I had no intention of getting sober, of joining Alcoholics Anonymous at the age of 17. And this is just still how selfish and self-centered I was is I remember I was so excited the day that I got out because of my dad had surgery the next day and I was going to be able to take him to surgery and then steal all of his pain pills. Like I had no care in the world. Like I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, and I don't care who I hurt. And it was just I was spiraling out of control at the age of 17. And it was like I, I could see that I was hurting my family, but again, I didn't really have a solution. I didn't really know what else to do. Um, I remember one time, I've probably told the story, but my mom had some pain pills in the medicine cabinet and my dad had some other medicine and I took all hers out and I, you know, those kind of looked similar, so I put them in there. And my mom came down the next morning with her face completely swollen because she was allergic to what I, what I put in her, what I had switched her medication out with. And of course I denied it, but yeah, no, that was just, it was a funny story. <laughs> Um, at the age of 18, um, at the age of 18, I caught a bunch of bunch of charges. Um, I got a DUI, and in Oklahoma, they give you a piece of paper that's your license for 30 days. And I remember when I got my first DUI, I was like, okay, like everyone gets one DUI, it's all good. Um, but like, hey, maybe, maybe I need to take a look at it. Maybe I need to quit drinking. Maybe I need to slow things down. Like, I'm only 18 years old. And 18 days later, I got my second DUI. And I would ran, ran a mom off the road in her van with her children. And then I remember going to, to jail that night, and I was like, this is getting really serious. Like, I completely swore off alcohol. I'm completely done. I'm, like, I'm, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm going to try to get my stuff together. And I remember I finally got let out of jail and I walked to the closest convenience store um, to, and was trying to convince people to buy me alcohol that were outside, homeless people in downtown Oklahoma City. 
even though I had just gotten arrested, you know, within the last 24 hours for my second DUI, I swore off alcohol. There I was at 3 a.m. in downtown Oklahoma City trying to convince homeless people to buy me alcohol. Like, I just, I, I, I didn't have a solution. I couldn't stop. And it wasn't that I didn't want to stop. It wasn't that I didn't mean it whenever I said, hey, I'm done drinking. I just, I didn't have a solution. Um, then what really set it off, and th this is the most vivid picture for me, um, is I was 18 years old still, had a bunch of charges, and my mom was across the, the hall in my house. And it was like 9 p.m., and she was just begging me not to go out with tears running down her face. And I just said, Mom, I'm, I'm going out. And I ended up going and robbing a store that night, getting arrested, and that's what sent me to prison. By the way, whoever made that coffee tonight, that was probably the best coffee this group's ever had. <laughs> That's been Trey. But I say that because, like, it wasn't that I wanted to hurt my mom. It was just I couldn't stop. It wasn't because I'm a crappy son and I enjoy watching my mom suffer. Like, I just, I watched her sit there with tears coming down her face and I couldn't stop going out and doing whatever I was going to do. So at the age of 19, um, I went to prison for the first time in the state of Oklahoma. And that's when it's like, okay, I'm just gonna take a breather. Like, this is a good, good refresher. Let me just get my, do my time and come home and restart, restart my life. Did my time, came home. And again, I'm from a very small country town. So they're like, hey, if you just, you're supposed to be on parole for four years. If you just pay this amount of money, we'll take you off everything. So I convinced my family that I'm that big of a fuck up that they need to pay it so I don't get in any more trouble. Um, so my family paid it and you know, as soon as I got out of prison, I was a free man. Like, and I went right back to doing the things that I was doing. And you know, I got a, uh, I got a job in the oil field in, in Oklahoma and they like to drink and they like to do other things to be able to work the long hours that they work. And I thought that was a perfect place for a guy like me. Um, so I did that for a long time out there. And somewhere in the, on the line of that, like I crossed, the, I crossed the line to where I could not stop drinking. I remember I would, I remember I would go to work and I'd clock in and then I'd like go find like these I mean, the oil fields, they have all these different big, huge machineries. Like, I would just climb into something and hide for like four hours just to try to sleep off the hangover from the day before. Um, you know, it got to the point where I was, you know, taking alcohol to work to get through, drinking in the mornings to get, get by. Um, it just, somewhere in there, it just took a turn for the worst. And, you know, I crossed that line to where I was beyond human aid. And at the age of, I don't know, 20, 22, I got some more charges. I uh, was facing, facing prison for the second time. Uh, they were looking at like a minimum of eight years. And I was like, this is my time to, to, to get it together. I went to jail a lot. And I, it's a bad feeling whenever you go to jail and whenever they shut that door, you can actually take a deep breath. Like... I would know that it's over. I don't have to keep fighting this fight that I cannot win. I knew that I could not drink while I'm right here. 
So I went to prison for the second time, and I swore this was a little bit more serious situation, so it wasn't like this little minimum security prison that I was in before. Like, um, I swore that I'm going to do my time, and I'm going to come home and you know make mommy and daddy proud and, and go and get a real job and um, you know get the house, get the girl, and, and get the job, and everything's going to be fine. The minute I walk into the actual prison, it's like a 60-day process. You're in county jail, and then you're in processing and receiving, and then you actually end up at your prison. The minute I actually showed up at my prison, I walked in, and I got drunk every single day from the t day I walked in there to the day I left. I had my girlfriend at the time putting money on my books. I had my parents putting money on my books, and I didn't have no commissary to show for it. Every penny that I had was going straight towards alcohol and other things in there. Um, but it's just, it's crazy. It's not like I, it's not like I didn't mean it. Like I meant, meant it when I said I'm done. Like I want to put my life together. I just didn't have a solution. Um, so I got out of, uh, got out of prison the second time. Same thing. Hey, if you just pay this amount, you're a free man. So that's what, that's what me and my family did. And then it just, I was right back at it within two or three months, drinking alcohol every single day. Um, it got to the point where got to the point where my family kicked me out, and when I say my family showed me tough love, like they they showed me some tough love. Like if I showed up on their doorstep at two in the morning needing help, nope, like we're not giving you a pillow or blanket. You can sleep on the front porch. Like they they were very adamant with me. Um, but you know, I continued down the path. I, I continued down, so they kicked me out. Um, I was homeless. I lived on the streets in Oklahoma City behind hotels, doing anything I could to get money to get a room for the night. Um, and it, it just got dark quick. And again, it's not that I wanted to do what I was doing, I just couldn't get out of it. I didn't know how to stop. And I convinced my family that, hey, I'm, I'm gonna go to this treatment center. And um, if you just give me like six months to live with you, you know, I'll try to get my act together, and if not, I'll go get some help. So they let me move move back in with them. And at this time, my problem is whenever I get drunk is I want to go to sleep. I can sleep anywhere. It does not matter. Like, that's just me. So I found out Madeline wouldn't, uh, me and Madeline wouldn't get along, but, man, cocaine will sober you up quick. So it made it to where I could hang with, with these people, like I could hang out with my friends and I could drink and I wouldn't go to sleep anywhere. Um, so I got really bad off onto that and it was like, okay, you know, my parents started to see the problem and they're like, hey man, like, you know, this is the deal that we made, you probably need to go get some help. So I went to go, I went to a treatment center on my own in Florida and I went there because of, you know, I wanted to keep drinking. I just didn't want to do the cocaine. So I went there saying, okay, like my whole intention of going there was I'm going to go there. And when I leave there, I'm going to take X amount of time. And then I'll be able to drink normally without snorting cocaine. Um, and again, this treatment center had AA meetings. They, they had people, groups come in and, and share their experience, strength, and hope. But I just was not, was not listening to them. Um, but again... Those, those things, I wasn't getting a sponsor. You know, it's kind of hard to get a home group in a treatment center, but I wasn't being a service. Like I was not doing any of the actions that, that this program really requires for it to work. Um, 
So I left that treatment center, went home, and I, I remember it like it was probably like a six-month period where I just woke up one day and I said, I can drink like a normal person today. I can't. Like, this is the day. I mean, I, I remember the morning I woke up and I just felt this sense of ease and like today's the day I can drink and everything's going to be okay. So I drank that night and it led on about a nine-month period of me just drinking every single night. Um, I would I would go to work, come home. I would take alcohol to work. I, I again I was waking up having to drink alcohol in the mornings just to be able to just to be able to get by in the mornings. Um, take a couple forties in my lunch box just to drink on lunch break just so I could get through the rest of the day. And then I would come home and I would just sit in my car till nine ten o'clock at night just drinking. No nothing else. No other substances. It was just me and alcohol at this point. And you know, I talk about this because, like, in my experience, like, circumstance didn't, never got me sober. Circumstances never got me sober. I remember the, the last night I was drinking. I had just gotten paid. Um, I was having a keg party. I bought, like, four 24-packs to put in my closet just in case my friends drank everything out of the keg. I would be okay. Um, and I remember when I woke up, I had a closet full of beer. I had money in my pocket yet I have tears rolling down my face and I'm on my knees asking God to help me. Like I just couldn't take it anymore. And I was on the phone with this treatment center and I, I flew out there the second, second time I went to that one in Florida and that's when I was like, you know, like, and again, still all the way up until I actually really got sober, like I, all I wanted was to come in, get sober, stay sober long enough to where I could go to work, come home, mow the yard, and drink a cold one. On a Saturday, watch some college football, drink a couple of cold ones. Like, that's what I wanted when I actually came into Alcoholics Anonymous. Because again, I did not know what an alcoholic was. So I go to this treatment center in Florida, meet the love of my life there. Um, <laughs> she lived in, in Raleigh, so uh, she lived in Willow Springs. So I remember we had this whole thing planned out. You know, I called my family and convinced them, hey, sobriety's really good in, in Raleigh. Like they have some Oxford houses there. Maybe we should try to get me over there. Like, you know, it's Oklahoma's my problem. Chase, my older brother, he's my problem. All these things are my problem. So I convinced my parents to put me in an Oxford house and, you know, she got out like a week before I did. And um, our whole plan was, you know, she was gonna pick me up from the airport, take me to my Oxford house. and. I'd get a job and, you know, become financially stable and then we'd live together and live happily ever after. Well, I flew into the airport, landed at RDU, and I've never talked to the girl since. <laughs> so if you're in treatment and you got a girlfriend, go for it. <laughs> But uh, I went to this, this Oxford house. It was off of Crosslink Road. And uh, the guys in there were great. They, they favor a, another 12-step program. Um, they did a lot of good. They, they really tried to help me as much as they could. They tried to take me to their meetings to make sure I was getting my meetings. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a license. Um, it was a great group of guys. But I just couldn't relate. 
and I was talking with someone about it. I think it was today. I was talking to somebody about it at work. Like, I mean, I went to treat. I went to treatment for cocaine. Never did cocaine again. No, no program, no nothing. I went to treatment for you know different things at different times, and I never did them again. But I always drank. So I couldn't. I couldn't make that identification in the other programs. Um, and I remember one night, I just sat there and I humbled myself. Put my ego aside, and I was like, why don't I ride the bus and go to an AA meeting? Never been on a bus before. Um, so that's what I did. I Googled an AA meeting and got on the bus, and I walked into this AA meeting. And uh, it was funny. The guys that were at that AA meeting that ended up helping me, like, they're, they're never there. They don't ever go there. I, don't, I would be safe to say they've probably never been there since that night. And I've never been there since that night. But I showed up there, I kicked in the door, said, I'm new, please help me. And they were like, yeah, sit down, shut up, like, we'll help you afterwards. Um, but these two guys, two young guys came and talked to me after the meeting. They're like, hey, why don't you come with us out to eat? And I was like, look, man, like, my parents are paying for everything, like, money's kind of tight. Like, in reality, I just didn't really want to go out with them. Um, but they're like, man, we, we, we got you. We'll pay for your food. Like, don't worry about it. So I went out to eat with these two guys. And, you know, there was just something about the way that they talked I could identify with. Um, you know, I've been to therapists in my past. And, you know, as a teen, all that. Like, uh, the first thing I'd always ask them is, like, do you have a drug or alcohol problem? No. Okay, well, then you don't understand. I'd always shut them down. But these guys talked to me in a way to where I knew that they that they had a similar experience in what I had. They knew what it was like to watch their mom crying while they're doing what they're doing, but they can't stop. They knew what it was like to not want to keep drinking, but no matter what they did or how hard they tried, they always ended up drinking. Um, so I, I, one of them kind of convinced me to let, let them sponsor me, and I um, started working with them. Um, we'd meet every Sunday. And he told me to get a home group. Okay. I'm trying to hurry up here. But we got a home group that met on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. And I remember he was like, hey, like, you need to get a service position. So when elections came around, I just sat there. I didn't raise my hand for anything. And, you know, once all the positions were filled, I was like, well, God just didn't see it fit for me to. <laughs> Maybe next year, buddy. Like, <laughs> And he said, no, what you're going to do is you're going to hold the door open every night. He said, that's what you're going to do. And the best thing is, like, and this is what I've been shown all throughout Alcoholics Anonymous through, through the leaders and mentors in this program is, like, he didn't just tell me that. Like, he told me to do that, and then for weeks he was there with me at the door every time until I felt comfortable. And that was probably the best thing I've probably ever done. I got to meet people. I got to build relationships with people. You know, I mean, after a while, you start seeing the same people come in and out, in and out, and, you know, you talk to them, and, you know, you build relationships with them. You end up going out to eat with them and meeting their families. Like, it was a great experience, all just from holding the door open. But my mind can shut really quickly on, on doing things like that. Again, perception is reality. If I think that that's not going to help me, I'm going to believe that that's not going to help me. So I... I Got a sponsor. I got a home group. I was a door holder. And um, I remember we, we worked all 12 steps. And I was somewhere in 9 to 12 months sober. 
And then he's like, okay, we're going to start on the traditions. And I was like, no, man, I'm good. Like, I'm done. Like, I've done enough work. I just want to keep going to these young people's meetings, hitting on girls, and just live a life for a little bit. Like, I'm tired of doing all this work. And at, again, at this time, this is whenever I'd come over here every once in a while, and, you know, someone would hit me with, this guy would always throw out these one-liners, stay on the path. <laughs> yeah, a lot of temptation. <laughs> Don't get too busy. Um, but I was like, I'm done. Like, I don't want to learn about the tradition. Like, give me a break. Let me just t take it easy for a little bit. And again, we all have seen it. Like, people do it. Like, started showing up once a week. Then I started showing up once every two weeks. And then I just stopped showing up to AA. And at this time, I had I'd quit drinking. I know I had over a year sobriety at this time. I had right out of year sobriety. I met a girl. I moved out of the Oxford house, moved out of an apartment I was renting a room at, and then I was starting to rent a house. I had a great paying job. Like, life was great. And none of that was from Alcoholics Anonymous. That was from me busting my ass. Well, none of that came from God. All that came from, from me working hard and persevering and, and, you know, doing what I had to do. So over, a, over about a nine-month period... I did not do any sort of alcoholic synonymous. And again, I would come here to these meetings in early sobriety and they would talk about applying this to your life, applying it in your workplace, applying it in your home. Um, I, had, I had quit drinking and yet my life was worse than it had ever been. Um, I had a company credit card, I stole a bunch from the company. Don't advise it, Jerry. Um, yeah, I mean, I furnished my house. I mean, I did all sorts of things. Um, home life was not very good at all. Um, and I remember in the end, like, I was waking up every day, and I was like, I'm not going to drink today, but I know it's coming. Um, and it's, it was a very dark spot to be in. And I remember in the end, what it looked like was, was um, my girlfriend at the time, at the very end, it was like her crying, begging me to go back to Alcoholics Anonymous because of the person that I had become. Um, and again, I wasn't drinking, wasn't doing any drugs. I just was not applying anything, any of the principles that are in this program to my life. The book talks about like quitting drinking is just like that's this is just the beginning. Like there's so many other things that we need to do. And this book is created to lead us into a direction to connect us to something that solves all of our problems. Um so I ran into my sponsor at a random Starbucks one day and he's like, How are you doing? I was like, I'm good. And he's like, No, man, like how are you really doing? I was like, dude, I'm terrible. Like my life is shitty. Um and he was like, it, it was a Saturday, I saw him. And he's like, all right, well, let's just make it, just, let's keep it simple. Just make a commitment to meet me at the home group on Sunday. I was like, well, it's not that bad. Like, I, give me a couple days. Like, um, but I made a commitment with him, and I met him back at that group. And, um, and I, I, I started my journey back in Alcoholics Anonymous. 
and I and I'm very grateful for my experience that I had because I've seen what my life looks like without alcohol and without Alcoholics Anonymous, and it is a very <coughs> very bad spot. Um, but I I, des- I decided to join it back in, and I kind of eased into it, and um, you know I ended up seeing what I really needed was probably not young people's meetings, nothing knocking them, I just, my, my attitude towards them was not, I guess my intentions was wrong. Um, what I needed was a, a strong three legacy group that would practice the traditions, teach the traditions, and how to apply them in your life, you know, do service work, do service in the community, you know, and, and, and talk about the steps and work the steps. So I saw that, you know, this group was really what I needed. You know, that guy said, oh, there's a lot of temptation. Yeah, there was. You know, I did not stay on the path. Um, but, I, but I decided to join. There's a solution. And that's, that's when a lot of things started to change for me spiritually. I truly believe that a home group can help you just as much as a sponsor if you are an active member of that group. Um, you get connected to people. You, you build relationships with people. And again, I, I have a sponsor, but there's numerous people in this group that have seriously saved my life. Whether it's going out to get lunch with me, Bun's Barn, Marty, yep. Uh, that's a spiritual place there. But uh, whether it's going out to get lunch with me, going out to get coffee, hanging out, doing barbecues, you know, barbecuing before the group, before the speaker meetings in the summertime, like, like uh, uh, being an active member of a home group was very important to me. It helped me tremendously. Um, but I decided to dive right back into AA and, and join a, a solid group and become a member of it. And that's really whenever, again, my life really started to change. Um, and Life is not um, life is not always life does not always work out the way that I want it to. Um, things come up, problems come up. That's when a sponsor gets involved. Um, but my favorite thing about all this is, like you know, I I grew up being taught like this is what God is, this is what we believe in, and then from a teenager on. Once I started drinking and stuff, my philosophy towards God and my, I guess my perception of him is like, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and whenever I'm ready, I'll come back to you and you'll forgive me and we can just both live a happy ever life together. Like, you'll take me, you're forgiving, that's what I was taught, and I can just come back and repent for all my sins and, um, you know, be saved, whatever it is, and, and live a happy ever life, ever lasting life with God um, but you know once I came into AA like really what a sponsor did was really help remove a lot of stuff to where I could connect to God and build a new relationship with God and um, because there are problems today in my life that no sponsor can fix no home group can fix no AA can fix like it's, it's strictly God like that's all I can do is pray to God and know that, that he's there for me. Um, and my favorite part of the big book talks about like the whole point of this program is for me to connect to something that will solve all my problems. 
doesn't say nothing about my drinking problem. And that's, that has been my experience. And again, it doesn't say it's going to solve my problems the way I want them solved. And that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. Because I, I want them solved my way and how I see it fit and how it's best going to fit me. I remember whenever I, I moved to Atlanta for like two years and my sponsor was like, everything's going to work out, man. Everything's going to be fine. And he's like, but let me remind you, like, it doesn't mean it's going to work out for you. So it's going to work out the way it's supposed to. And it did, and here I am. But, <laughs> um, but moving's, moving is difficult. Like, I've moved in, moved in, um, I've moved in sobriety. That's always fun. You get to judge everybody and how they're doing everything wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going through some stuff right now, but, like, at the end of the day, it's very simple. Have a sponsor that you stay current with. Have a home group that you're an actual member of. That's just what I've been told, like, be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Not in, a, not in the rooms, but actually be a member, participate in Alcoholics Anonymous. Go to events, try to be of service wherever it is that you're at. Um, and again, pick up service positions and help out. Like, that's, that is Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'll end with this. I guess I'll end a couple minutes early, but... You know, sometimes I get... I get so lost in all this. I'll wake up in the morning and complain. This isn't working out for me. This girl's, this, this lady's coming for my throat. Like, I mean, I'll wake up and like complain about everything possible. But at the end of the day, like I used to wake up begging not to drink and still drinking. And I'm sober today. Like my problems are very small. But, I, but the world is a very loud place and I can get lost and very closed-minded and focus on the negative stuff. But I mean, at the end of the day, like I live a very good life. No matter what's going on in my world, like I remember a point waking up, tears coming down my face, not wanting to drink, but still drinking and not knowing how to stop. And I've came in and found a program that has completely removed that obsession to drink and I haven't found it necessary to take a drink in almost 10 years. But I can lose sight of that very quickly. Um, but the best thing is, is like over the few, last few years, I've been very spiritually connected. I've really grown in a relationship with God, and it is very peaceful. It is very, um, I don't waste as much energy and time trying to find, figure out everything. I don't, I, I just, this is what happened. God helped me. Like, this is all you, and I just move on with my life. Um, and I remember I used to make fun of this guy all the time and judge him hard. But I'd be like, where are you at, man? Why aren't you at the home? I'll oh, just go where God leads me. I'm like, dude, that's a cop out, man. Like, you're just bailing on us. <laughs> but, like, at the end of the day, like, I've, I've found myself to be in that same position. Like, I just go wherever God leads me today. If I have a problem in my life, I pray and I just move on and continue taking the right action. And whatever happens, happens. But I don't have to waste all this energy trying to figure it out and trying to manipulate everything to work out what's going to be best for me. And, you know, that's really the most important part of my life today is a simple belief and reliance upon a power greater than myself. So thank you again. Thank you guys for having me.